the word economics is probably the biggest word involved in all this, but it's not just about money involved. The two most high-profile athletic programs in the Big 12 will leave their home of 20 years for the Southeastern Conference come next fall. But the impact of Texas and Oklahoma's departure will go beyond the gridiron or the court. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a difference of about 50 million reasons why uh, Texas and Oklahoma are headed to the SEC as opposed to staying in the Big 12 Conference. I'm Chris Blake, and as the universities get set to play their final Red River rivalry as members of the Big 12, Texas wants to know, what's the cultural and economic impact of the Longhorns and the Sooners departing the conference? So why are Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 for the SEC? And what were some of maybe the key moments leading up to this over the last several years? The background, what you're asking about also, goes to what I think all institutions, all athletic programs, no matter the level, Division One FBS, Division Group of Five, FCS, Division Two, Division Three, NAI, junior college, whatever it might be, all of those athletic programs do have to rely on what that income is to make those programs stay solvent and profitable and make them work going forward. Craig Way has been a part of Longhorn Radio Network broadcasts since 1988. He started calling women's basketball games in 1997 and added football, men's basketball, and baseball to his responsibilities in 2001. In the case of Texas and Oklahoma, yes, that was a big play. There's no question about it. But it wasn't the only factor. There had been a growing concern over the past several years by not just Texas and Oklahoma, but other members of the Big 12 Conference, that the Big 12 was fine with just idling its engines and not being proactive enough. The Big 12 had been accused for years of being reactive, not proactive on things. And sure enough, we'd seen more evidence of this happen over time. Well, eventually, Texas and Oklahoma, that probably the two flagship institutions, I think, of the Big 12 in terms of revenue stream and television image and all of those things, were very, very concerned about the future and viability of the league going forward because I think the leaders of those two institutions, both in their athletic departments and in their administrations overall, were concerned that what we're seeing right now was going to happen again. There was going to be uh, another, you might say, seismic move in college athletics where we would see more realignment of leagues. That seismic move took place over the summer when we saw Oregon and Washington announce their departure from the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. The Big 12 responded by adding Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State to a Colorado program that was already set to join the conference in 2024. Losing Texas and Oklahoma, you don't have as many Texas-based teams, smaller alumni bases in the state. How does that affect the way we view the conference and the culture of college football in Texas? Obviously, this is a big state. There's 20 million people living in it or whatever. And additionally, the amount of recruitable student athletes in college football, and I'm talking Division One FBS recruitable athletes, is somewhere between 350 and 425 every year. It's somewhere around the number 400. So they can't all wind up at Texas. They can't all wind up at Texas A&M. They can't all uh, wind up at Oklahoma or TCU or Oklahoma State or anybody. My point is, is that 
it has now spread out enough to where we have seen more of a leveling in college football. And we have also seen more and more programs step up their programs. Way cited the number of programs in the state that have made the jump to the football bowl subdivision, formerly Division I, schools like Sam Houston, Texas State, Tarleton State, and Abilene Christian. The money has never been higher than it is with college football television revenues across the nation, not individually speaking, but across the nation. Opportunities are there more and programs are stepping up to Division One level. That's why a Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12. Yes, it, it's big and it's seismic, but other programs are stepping up their games as well to make college football and by extension, college athletics continue to grow because you have more programs that were smaller colleges that are now stepping up to that division one status you're an sec guy how do you feel about texas and oklahoma going to the sec oh i feel a little bit odd about it you know the sec has been a very like small regional conference that i'm still wrestling with their expansion their kind of global takeover rj choppy is one of the hosts of sean and rj on odyssey's 105.3 the fan in dallas he also went to school at tennessee which is in the SEC. I know it's been over a decade now since A&M came in there in, what, 2012. But still, it's you know expanded to Texas and OU, which are they've never been SEC. And you know, quite frankly, though, A&M was always the more SEC crowd, SEC fan base, that rabid. Not to say that Texas and OU fans aren't rabid, but like A&M has that, like, we will throw a brick through your window kind of feel. And that's very SEC, and Texas is a little bit more they're, they're too high class for us. More the wine and cheese crowd? Yeah. Look, we're, we're a redneck fan base, okay? We're, we're, we're hillbillies. And Texas and OU don't fit that necessarily. Oklahoma a little bit more. But Texas certainly doesn't. But it's the way it is. It's the way college sports are now. They're, they're about expansion. It's about Big Ten and SEC globally taking over the sport. And that gets right to one of the biggest concerns for some college football fans in Texas. The Big 12 will still feature Texas schools like Baylor, Houston, TCU, and Texas Tech, but without Texas and Oklahoma, will the rest of the country still care about the conference? There is no doubt that the footprint of the conference, and I don't just mean the footprint like from where they are, it definitely decreases. People in you know, Florida, in Ohio, they don't care about Texas Tech, they don't care about Houston, they don't care about Oklahoma State, they care about Oklahoma and Texas. And the amount of eyeballs that are going to be on the conference greatly decreases. Its value as a conference greatly decreases. So now look, they're going to bring in Colorado. They're bringing in the Arizona schools and Utah and everything like that. But, you know, those aren't Texas and OU. I don't think that replacing a game against Texas with a game against Arizona or Arizona State is going to have the same kind of cachet, um, you know, that, that you would have um, from the traditional rivalries. Dennis Coates is an economics professor at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and one of the nation's foremost experts on sports effects on local economies. So that might affect Waco and Lubbock and so on to some extent, but they also are going to continue to have those home games, and most of the fans at those home games are their home fans. So if people continue to travel across Texas or the Southwest, to attend games in, in those smaller cities um, like they would if it was a, a Texas Texas Tech game or something, then it probably won't have that big of an impact and maybe even be beneficial if people come from farther away and stay longer. I found the article you wrote several years back that 
said, is the Texas Baylor game to Waco what the Super Bowl is to Houston? Is that a little bit of an exaggeration or does a school like Texas have that kind of an impact on a smaller city like Waco? It was more than just a little bit of an exaggeration. It was hyperbole for sure. But the point of the article was really that in a small town, what might be considered a mega event is very different than what would be considered a mega event in a big city. And um, the result of that that study was that in the smaller cities like Waco and Lubbock and so on, the entire college football home season seemed to have about the same impact on sales tax revenues as did the Super Bowl in Houston. Places like Stillwater, Lubbock, Waco, what are some of the impacts economically that we might not think about that a college football weekend brings to those cities? Well, I think that there's two kinds of impacts, right? One is the beneficial impact of the people coming in and spending money in the community that would not have been spent otherwise. And I think people think of that one right off the bat. The other impact is the negative impact, which is drunken fans urinating in public, having fights, parking wherever they feel like parking, those sorts of negative impacts that close down the rest of the town for the regular citizens of the town in a way that they wouldn't experience otherwise. So maybe kind of a situation if you were someone who moved to that city for a job or didn't have a relationship to the university, home game days might be a time when you're like, maybe this is a good time to take that trip to go visit whoever to get away. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, one of my co-authors referred to that as the skedaddle effect. So (laughs) people are going to skedaddle on game day. By the time the 2024 football season starts, the Big 12 will have eight members who were not there when the 2022 season ended. BYU, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston joined the league this fall. And as mentioned earlier, the conference adds Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah next year. Even with the loss of Texas and Oklahoma, the Big 12 will have 16 teams. So you're adding these eight teams over this two-year time period. What could the financial impact be on the conference by adding those eight, even when you're losing Texas and Oklahoma? The general idea of the realignment has at least historically been to to capture media markets that you didn't have before. And none of the media markets, with the exception of maybe, maybe Phoenix, maybe Denver, are particularly large. On the other hand, you're not really losing any media markets because people in Texas are still going to watch the Texas games regardless. Um, So for the conference, it may bring in more broadcast revenues because of those extra markets. I'm not sure how much that'll be because I'm not sure that those are, are sufficiently large markets. The one thing that I would say though, is sort of the flip side of that is My guess is that people from Alabama and Georgia and LSU, their their fans, travel really well. So I would not be at all surprised if for Texas and Oklahoma, they see some boost to out-of-town fans from those 
those particular locations and people who spend a lot of money. I know it's football season. That's the big money maker in college athletics. But is there any impact that's going to be notable for some of the other sports? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, a lot of the other sports, the the complaint is always that they don't pay for themselves. And when you expand the amount of travel that they have to do, that just makes it that much more difficult because, you know, not sufficiently raising revenues, but you are raising their costs. So they may be, may struggle to support them in that regard. We'll have to see. Um, The bottom line is that if, if Texas takes in more revenues than it was um, as part of the big 12, then it probably will be able to continue to support all of the lower, um, you know, the non-revenue sports. Um, And likewise for the other schools in both the big 12 and in the SEC. But, but those extra travel costs, they could be substantial. It's pretty plain and simple that the football revenue is going to drive the health and well-being of the remaining athletic programs on campus. That's pretty much been the case for years and years, and I think it will continue to be the case. You know, that that helps out uh, in other programs. For example, Texas added beach volleyball this year when it when it moved into the SEC, another women's athletic sport. Uh, you know, TCU has equestrian and rifle. Baylor has equestrian. There are different sports that are looked at as being, might be termed as non-revenue sports. Some call them Olympic sports, whatever they might, however you might be classifying those sports. They're all helped by the revenues accrued from football and from the television rights that come from football. The college football landscape has changed dramatically over the last 15 years. The Big East stopped playing Division I football in 2013. Missouri, Nebraska, and Texas A&M left the Big 12 for the SEC in the early 2010s. And USC and UCLA are headed to the Big 10. How do you feel about essentially the regional rivalries disappearing for the most part and this just becoming a conglomeration of the biggest brands in two conferences? They've killed the nostalgic beauty of the sport. Like college sports and college athletics, college football has been about tailgates, tradition, rivalries, uniqueness. The tailgates are still there. The tradition is still there. The rivalries are not, and the uniqueness is not. They've, they've you know, because they changed the rules, they made the, the sport look more NFL-like. And then when you kill the rivalries, now it's just you've got your own school's tradition, and you've got – and that's really – that's all you got. That's all you got. Uh, and, and that's a problem. You know, like when you don't have – when A and M and Texas stop playing, when Cal and UCLA stop playing, when Utah and BYU stop playing, when Florida and Florida State stop playing, or Florida Miami or Clemson and South Carolina, when you kill those off, I mean, you kill the sport, and 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 you can't have that. Like the SEC used to have every year, you know, Florida was going to play LSU, and Tennessee was going to play Alabama, and Georgia was going to play Auburn. Well, now. You know, you may not have all those rivalries, and that that stinks because now you've killed the sport. You made it more like the NFL, and if you make it more like the NFL, all college football is is minor league football. Way said he will miss visiting some of the Big 12 cities where he's made friends over the years, and he's jealous of trips to Boulder, Colorado, and Provo, Utah that members will make in the coming years. But there's also plenty to look forward to in the SEC. I thought I was going to get a chance to call a game at Death Valley at LSU, but that was 2020. That was the pandemic, and and so that game didn't happen. So maybe somewhere down the line it will. Next year, it's an odd first year in the SEC for Texas because most of their road games 
are against schools that they know really, really well. Oklahoma is in Dallas, so that's the neutral site. They go to Arkansas, where they've been many, many times and went in a non-conference game two years ago, and they start up the series with Texas A&M again, and there's great anticipation of that, and they'll play that game in College Station. The only other road conference game Texas has next year is Vanderbilt. So it's a nice trip to Nashville, but it's but it'll be different. The flip side of that is they have Florida and Georgia coming to Austin, and and that'll be an awful lot of fun. The Georgia and Florida games in Austin will be massive. Yeah, I, I think fans are already very very excited about that, and and they're excited about this this last go around in the Big Twelve. It was you know they just had uh, that last trip. Waco against Baylor and the fortunate thing about OU and playing uh, in Dallas and the state fair is that that's something that will continue. And uh, that was always going to be either in Dallas at the state fair, or they were just going to go to home and home. There was no interest in playing it on a neutral site anywhere other than the fairgrounds. The teams are in agreement with the city of Dallas to play their rivalry at the cotton bowl through 2025. Since the series is going to continue, maybe the answer is no, but is there anything special or different about this year's Red River Showdown being the last one as members of the Big 12? Only that, that it's going to be the final time as Big 12 conference members. But, you know, they've been playing so long and, uh, you know, they started playing in Dallas, I believe, in 1929 and started playing on the in the old fairgrounds stadium uh, before the Cotton Bowl itself was built later. And, uh, you know, they were uh, not in the same league. And for years and years, you know, Texas was in the Southwest Conference and Oklahoma was in first the Big Six, then it was the Big Seven, then it was the Big Eight before the conference merger in 1996. So they played each other for decades long before uh, they even got in the same league together. Now, the good thing is they're staying in the same league together. They're just switching to a different league. So, uh, you know, a lot's going to be the same. I'm looking forward to having uh, something else of the same, the Fletcher's Corny Dog. I'm looking forward to that uh, and looking forward to a lot of the other State Fair of Texas traditions when Texas and OU play this time around. I'm Chris Blake at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thanks for joining me for Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I wrote and produced this episode with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for National News Podcasts is Myron Kaplan. <laughs>